everyone, I'm your host, Bella Page, and after suffering from post-concussion syndrome for years, it was time to do something about it. So welcome to the Post-Concussion Podcast, where we dig deep into life when it doesn't go back to normal. Be sure to share the podcast and join our support network, Concussion Connect. Let's make this invisible injury become visible. The Post-Concussion Podcast is strictly an information podcast about concussions and post-concussion syndrome. It does not provide nor substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or another qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are simply intended to spark discussion about concussions and post-concussion syndrome. Welcome to episode number 96 of the Post-Concussion Podcast with myself, Belle Page, and today's guest, Daniel McQueen. At 28, Dan was leading a healthy, active life. After an optometrist appointment to identify the cause of his persistent headaches was cut short, he was handed a sealed envelope and told to go directly to the hospital. What followed was emergency brain surgery. In 2014, Dan's reality was shattered by a devastating brain hemorrhage. With no map to guide him on the grueling path to recovery, Dan had to rely on his own grit, perseverance, and resilience to relearn everything he once knew, how to walk, talk, and even smile. Dan has survived two emergency brain surgeries, weeks in a coma, and months in rehab in a hospital. What he found out along the way might surprise you. There is nothing like a brain injury to refocus the mind. Driven by a positive mindset, Dan battled through excruciating rehab exercises to rebuild his life and return to the job he loved. He's grateful for the doctors who saved him and the friends and family who supported him. Now he wants to pay it forward. The tools Dan used to build back his life can be used by anyone facing challenges. Through his talks, Dan has inspired many. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Hi, lovely to be here, Bella. Thanks for having me. So to start, do you want to tell us a little bit about your brain injury experience? I'd love to. Thank you. So my brain injury happened in 2014 in jolly old England. I was having these headaches that were horrible and they were getting worse after a few weeks. I was taking a lot of painkillers, popping them like candy, but they weren't doing anything for the pain. I went to A&E twice, which is accident and emergency in the UK. They thought it was vertigo and they sent me home. But they told me if the headaches were to continue, I should get my eyes checked at an optometrist. So it was the middle of the exam when the optometrist, Mr. Patel, he stopped the exam full, full stop. So we got to stop it for you here. I want you to go directly to Moorfields Hospital, which I did. Well, sort of. I first went at home to grab a book by Lee Child and a bite to eat and also grabbed a phone charger. I figured I'd be in for a bit of a wait. And wanted to have a phone in case, you know, something were to happen, which, you know, little did I know my life would change after this moment. So I called my manager and messaged with friends, emailed my folks in Canada. They were in the flight to come to, to London when I woke up. I was on the operating table on June 21st, 2014, when I had a brain hemorrhage. My mom lands in London and finds out I'm in critical condition. I was in a coma for four weeks, but was in and out of consciousness for months after that. It was really dicey. When I was in a coma, they had to keep my core temperature down below 40 degrees. Otherwise, there'd be brain damage. So these ice blankets above and below me to keep my core temperature down this led to violent shivering. Lasted on and off for about a week. My family says this is horrible to watch. 
When all was said and done, I was learning how to walk, talk, and smile again. Months of arduous rehab and building back up. And it's been an ongoing journey ever since. That's kind of the Coles Notes version of the brain image, though, Bella. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I always like that you add the uh, walk, talk, smile again, because I think that smile again part of it is really important, but also probably one of the hardest parts, actually. And so do you want to talk and walk us through a little bit of like dealing with the inconsistencies of being in recovery? Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, it's very able body, healthy guy, otherwise healthy guy, no issues through my whole life. And in an instant, I am bedridden. I can't move. I'm in a wheelchair. It takes me 45 minutes to get in the wheelchair, then 40, then 45 again, then 47, and then 50, and then 35. And then just these, these days are so frustrating because I'm trying really hard here. I realized that the effort was the biggest thing that I can control. I would say control the controllables. So I may not have the same output or the same um, result, but I have the same output every time. I would try. My hardest, I try. And that's what you can control. So stop worrying about you know, what, uh, I don't want to be prescriptive here, but like what I found helped me is, is not worrying about what happened with the result, but always put the effort in to make the result happen. And it's just, it's a big mental game because it's so frustrating when you take three steps back and yesterday you took one step forward. And it's just like, but you got to have those highs and lows because it's going to be a very difficult uphill battle. Yeah. I find it is a lot like, I always explain it as a roller coaster, <laughs> And you're like blindfolded while you're on the roller coaster. It goes up, it goes down, it turns left, it turns right. And you don't always know what's going to come next. And I really like that control the controllable. I know there's definitely moments where it feels like you can't control anything. And those moments are really tough. And trying is also something that like sounds easier than it is. So like you say you should try, but trying every day eventually kind of feels like, but what if I don't want to or what if I don't have the effort or what if like my head's not in anymore because I'm exhausted of not getting results? What happens in those kinds of moments? Do you have any advice? Yeah, I think like I really experienced, I describe this as kind of like, this is kind of a weird analogy. I'm going to go with it though, because I've said it once or twice before and I think it lands. We'll try it today and see if it works. But it's kind of like you're pushing up against an egg yolk and it's not breaking. And you just keep, you're pushing harder and harder against it, not breaking, not breaking. And all of a sudden it just breaks and it seeps into everything. And it becomes just so light and easy, but you're pushing up against it, seeing no result, no result, no result. And then suddenly it just goes in, it's everywhere. And it was always there. I think it was meant to be there. And that's kind of like effort for me. It's just like you push, you push, you push, you may not see anything. And then one day, one day it just breaks through and you've got a lovely hash brown with us, egg yolk in it, which I find helpful. But it's just, that's kind of the way you get to approach this recovery is just keep putting in the work day after day because it may not see results. Some days you may take three steps back one step forward, three steps back, one step forward. And you keep going forward every day because you don't know when that breakthrough is going to happen. And when it does, man, you feel good that you've done something positive and you've made it progress and, and you've had a, a big positive impact here, which is something I think is quite key for my recovery and something that I really try to pass on through my talks. Yeah, I think it's a lot harder than it sounds because of all the effort that has to go. And I do always like to say, like, you don't always know what's going to work. And for me, I don't 
like the switch just flipped, but I don't know what flipped the switch. And like, that's where like all that effort comes into play. It was always like doing therapies and all these things. And don't get me wrong. There's definitely moments where I gave up. There's definitely moments where I refused to try at all. And all those moments, because like, it's not a straight line as you've talked three steps back, one step forward. That does happen a lot. And so I find for me, the mental game of this was huge. And so do you want to talk a little bit on the mental game of recovery? Yeah, for sure. I think mental is the biggest thing for me because I, when I first had this happen to me, I was in a wheelchair for three, maybe four months. And when they first asked me what the biggest impact was, and I said physical, no doubt, but after time, it was for sure mental and for sure the social element with friends and family and like just understanding how to like have that gentle social cues and stuff like that. The mental game is so important for this because whatever you think about it is kind of the game. And I'll share one story that kind of shows me my perspective and how I fostered this. That's walking in Tooting Broadway. So in London, Tooting Broadway, South London, and it's, it's up and coming, which means it's a bit dodgy. Think loud sirens, think dirty, hectic people bustling. It's, it's a chaotic mess. I'm walking there with a cane and an eye patch. I've just learned how to walk them out of the wheelchair. And I turn the corner on Tooting Broadway and I get bashed into by someone. I stagger back a few feet. Someone scurries past me on the right-hand side. Someone's been stabbed in the sidewalk over here. After a few days of this, I was thinking, man, this place sucks to walk. This is the worst place to learn how to walk in the world. And then one day, my perspective shifted. Maybe this isn't the worst place to learn how to walk in the world. Maybe this is the best place to learn how to walk in the world. If I can walk here, I can walk anywhere. But it went from the worst to the best in my mind and my mood reflected that. I'm saying you can change the way you look at things in your life. Is it the worst or is it the best? I actively went and thought about how can I make this? How can I turn down the suck in the situation? You know, when you're in the hospital and just learning to walk, you spend a lot of time in the bed on your backside. And I thought, how can I make this less sucky? How can I turn down the suck a little bit with this? And I kept listening to like, well, why is this the worst? And I thought, well, it's difficult. It's dirty. It's hectic. It's busy. It's, you know, can't they see I'm trying to walk here? Can't they see I'm trying here? And then I thought, well, maybe if you're wanting to walk, you'd want to walk in an environment that's trying and testing because if you can walk there, you can walk anywhere. And when that shift in perspective happened, I began to look forward to my walks, bump into me, crash past me. Good. Bring it on. If I can walk here, I can walk anywhere. And when that switch goes, you look forward to the strife, the contact, the adversity, you, you kind of, you relish it. And it becomes something that really defines you and helps you build back better. This is a very active, proactive thought process in how I approached this and, and made this happen. I'm not saying it was easy to do, but like when that shift happened, it just became simple for me. Yeah, I love mindset changes and all that. Like you said, like you had to work towards getting there, but once you could be in that mindset, it made a really big difference. And I find I'm like that for a lot of things. Like mine's a little different, but it's more like it could be worse. I think of that a lot of the time. Like, and not like it's not that it wasn't terrible, but because I have recovered from a lot of things when I'm out in public and people are freaking out about things or I have friends call me about stuff and I give such a different perspective. And I think sometimes my different perspective is the fact that like, this isn't really that bad. Like, this is going to be over tomorrow. This isn't something that's chronic. Like, we're talking about it today. Are we going to be worried about it tomorrow? And they're like, 
well, probably not. I'm like, okay. So like, it's not that we're not worried, but do we need to be worried this much? Does it need this much of our energy? Does it need this much upset? Does it need to cause this many problems? If by tomorrow, this isn't a problem anymore. And I think being able to change your mindset is really big. And I do really want to talk about some of your hacks for living post-brain injury and concussion. But before that, we're going to take a quick break. Cognitive FX is a research-driven clinic that has successfully treated thousands of patients who have long-lasting symptoms from concussions or other brain-related injuries. Cognitive FX has an innovative approach to recovery that uses an advanced fMRI scan to map the function in your brain. Treatment at Cognitive FX takes five days to complete and uses your fMRI scan as a guide and baseline to ensure that your treatment is personalized and effective. This means that you won't need to schedule and keep track of multiple specialists, locations, dates, times, or therapies because it will all be prepared for you when you arrive. Once you've completed their treatment, you receive a personalized at-home plan to continue your recovery and gain access to their online patient portal that has instructional videos and resources for your continued recovery. Conveniently, Cognitive FX also offers free consultations so both you and the doctors can ensure that treatment is a good choice for you and your injury. Visit their website at CognitiveFXUSA.com. Don't delay your recovery any longer. Find solutions at Cognitive FX today. Welcome back to the Post-Concussion Podcast with myself, Bella Page, and today's guest, Daniel McQueen. So something I really wanted to get into is some of Daniel's hacks. So Daniel has been a survivor for some time now and has developed hacks for kind of getting through recovery and all that has to do with that. So do you want to kind of walk us through some of those? I'd love to, Bella. Thank you. So I've got a number of hacks that have kind of helped me get back to life in a way that was meaningful and, and kind of make it less strenuous and difficult for me. The first one I'll share with you, Bella, is what I call icebreakers. No icebreakers. It's not a social break. Think of yourself walking in one direction and you're breaking the ice. And you find someone who's walking in your direction at the same speed and you fall in behind them. So let them break the ice for you. So you're kind of drafting off them in this like public space. In London, there's a lot of busy sidewalks that are quite busy and hectic. And it's quite a lot to take on. As I'm sure you know, and your listeners know, but the brain injury, your fatigue levels are quite high. When you have a chance to draft off someone, you can reduce that strain and be better for a bit longer which I think is really helpful. So I call that icebreakers, which is quite a cool one. Another hack I can share is I really enjoy the, like everyone's got a phone, right? Everyone's got one of these with them all the time. I think everyone's within arm distance of this at all times now, but use the phone to kind of help you like set timers and alarms on your phone. So a timer, for instance, like I'll go take a nap in the day and I'll put a timer on for like 15 minutes and I can scroll Instagram for 15 minutes. When the timer goes off, take a nap or get back to what you're doing. You got a little window to do something there. Or an alarm on my phone. So I'll be, I don't know, out for a walk and I'll remember I need to message Bell about the podcast tomorrow. So I set my alarm for, let's say, 447 when I know I'll be home and I can action something. And I'll set the alarm, write a little note on my phone in the notes section. An alarm goes off my phone in order to check the notes to see what that alarm was in relation to. And that helps me to break up the day and remember things because you got to write things down when they come to you. You always think, oh, I'll remember that for sure. You never will. Always write it down on your phone and set the alarm because that's so key. I always forget that stuff. Even at nighttime sometimes when I'm having a great idea and I think, 
Oh, I'll remember that in the morning. I'm pretty comfortable now. I don't need to get that down. Always write it down because it will go in a second. You're like, I thought I had that lock. What happened? You always forget. And if you write it down, the worst thing that happens is like, yeah, I remember that in the morning. But it's never like that was not worthwhile writing down for sure. Those are some of the hacks I got, Bella. I've got a whole bunch that I speak to that kind of help me navigate life. And they're all designed to make life a bit easier, less strenuous. I'll share one last one with you in mind, Bella. And that's what I call betting on the ponies. So in London, you hit the tube everywhere to get around the city. And the tube's quite busy. When you got to stand on the tube, it's quite draining on your on your vibe and your battery. I always kind of describe it like my battery now is about 75% as a top top rating thing. So every, every second of the day, it drains the battery down. If you can take little breaks along the way, you can save your battery. So bending on the ponies, when you get in the tube and you try to identify people getting off at certain stops. On the way back from my office in Tower Hill, going back to West London, I kind of gamble on where people are going to get off based on how they're dressed. So dressed up in a suit and tie, maybe they're off in Central. Maybe they're going to get off like midway through the journey and I can get their seat and take a break. Because that break helps you so much with this recovery. And I get on the tube and I go, <laughs> I was super obnoxious and I go, yeah, yeah. And I identify people that I'm going to stand in front of like, Manal, I got a few, few seats over here. But you'll notice a gamification of this. Like I'm having fun which is a big thing for me. Like I, I enjoy life. I'm having fun with this. And when you have fun with stuff, it becomes a lot less strenuous and arduous. You're not, oh, this sucks so bad. I got like a bad battery. And if you can find icebreakers, if you can find, you know, a pony to bet on, you're making your day a bit more fun to make it through the day and enjoy enjoy life. I'm not saying this is easy to do. It's not easy to do any of this stuff, but it's simple to have the mindset of like, I want to be better than this. How can I be better? By making myself have fun, by taking off the strain and relaxing a little bit. So what's some of my hacks are, Bella? I really like all of them. They use the phone. I'm big into that too. I have alarms with names on them for some things that I need to do every day for like medication and things. Because even if you have to do it every day, sometimes you forget. And then I also text myself. I do that a lot. Okay. So, so I just text my own number and then it's on both sides of the screen, but it's fine. And then as I get those things done, I will delete the text. So for example, if I needed to remember to get eggs, text my sister about something, call this vacuum, you know, like something like, you know, you want to do this if you have spare time or like I'll be in a conversation with someone and they mention something. I'm like, oh, I want to look that up. So I'll text myself it so that like later when I actually have time to sit down, a lot of the time I'll just scroll through my text, be like, oh, what could I do right now? Or whenever I'm like, oh, what am I forgetting? I can look through those texts and kind of like your notes, like it's just a different place, but I find that helps me a lot. I also really like your gamification strategy. I found therapy as a game was something I really enjoyed. I was like mind games for like cognitive rehab. I like things where like I knew I was getting better. Like I wanted to time myself or I wanted to like kind of compete with myself and I think it's really important to compete with yourself, like figure out where your base level is if you're doing therapy and competing with yourself, because you don't want to compete with others because you never know what somebody else's situation is. As we always say here, you know, a few chapters of someone's life, but you don't know the whole book. So very important to remember that when in therapy and things like that. But I really like a lot of those strategies. Something that you said to me that really stuck when we were talking before was, it's not fair and it's not easy. So you want to explain a little bit why you shared it's not fair and it's not easy and kind of go from there. Yeah, thanks, Bella. I think it's not fair. Like I know 
when this happened to me, you can definitely go down what I call the pity spiral. Why me? Woes me. This isn't fair. This isn't fair. It's, like, it's not fair. Get over it. Like, it's not fair. Like, it's not fair. It happened. The card came up. It's not fair. You would ask yourself one question. And what? What do you expect to have happened with this? I lost my job this summer, Bella. I was working at Hootsuite, a tech company, for nine years. Nine years is a long time, right? I gave myself an afternoon to lick my wounds, go for a bit of a boozy lunch. I decided then and there I'm becoming a motivational speaker today. I'm picking up the computer later today and I'm starting this tomorrow. My acceptance of this dramatically reduced from the first brain hemorrhage probably took me a month to accept it. I had a second setback halfway through this journey that took me about a week. This job loss took me about an afternoon, a lunch to kind of settle in and accept it. It's not easy to accept it. I'm not saying it's going to be easy to do that, but it's simple. What I mean by this is like, if you know you want right, just go right. It just happens to be straight uphill right now, which isn't fair, but it, it's what you've got. It's not your fault, but it's your responsibility to get back to this. Like, it's not my fault that I had a brain hemorrhage, but it's my responsibility to get back to the best life I can and be the best person I can. Because that's in my capacity to do. I know I can do that. I can be better. And the way you do it, keep promises to yourself. So the way I keep promises to myself is I always just, I swim quite a lot, right? What's one of my hacks? I swim quite a lot for exercise. When I get in the pool, I always map out how many lengths I want to do. I've got a lap counter, which counts your laps. Whatever I think, even if it's for a second or that fleeting moment, I have to do those many lengths. Usually I'll do about 60 on a Monday or Tuesday. and I'll do about 40 on a Wednesday. But if I think for a second, like, oh, I can do 70 today. It's like, well, I'm doing 70 then. And I've got to do it. I'll keep those promises to myself to make sure that I kill myself accountable. That's how you build self-confidence by keeping promises to yourself. Because I'm the type of person that says I'm going to do something and I do it. Very impressive that you can hold yourself that accountable. I'm definitely a little bit more the opposite. Like hold yourself accountable, but also give yourself a break. Like I found I used to like kind of eat myself alive. Be like, no, you're going to do this. And you know what? Like, it's okay if you don't actually. Like, you know, like your body is telling you no, like you have a symptom flare up, but don't give up. Like, I think that's a huge thing. Like maybe tomorrow, don't let it like discourage you. Or maybe take that break and start again. And don't let that break discourage you. It's okay to take breaks. It's okay to step away. But as long as you know that you stepped away for the right reasons and that you didn't just give in, that you knew that, you know what, today is not that day, but maybe tomorrow. And I think that can be really helpful. And so do you want to talk a little bit about goal setting, both short and long term? Because I think a lot of people struggle with that. I know for myself, I kind of stopped really long-term goals because I find they're a little bit too I just know so many things can happen now like I've had my life turned around multiple times the snap of your fingers as you have too and sometimes for me long-term goals are really hard to set but shorter-term goals aren't so bad because like less bad things seem like they can happen in a shorter period of time so I do better with that but do you want to talk about your view on goal setting and how you do that? For sure. Yeah. Goal setting has played a big part in my recovery, to be honest. And I've got a couple of examples. I'll share two, two goals that I've had. And just the first one's like a short-term goal. You know, the length of time it takes me to get into a wheelchair. Well, that first took 40 minutes from the bed to the wheelchair, then 35, then 30. The goal was to reduce it and keep improving. And there'd be some days where I go back a step. I go back five minutes and it would take me that much longer. But the goal was to like, okay, I'm going to try and get in the wheelchair in 30 minutes a day. 
did I make that? Yes, no. If no, then like, okay, what did I learn from it? Well, I fatigue quite a bit near the end, so I got to try and get in there faster because I tire out if I don't make it in there faster. You're always kind of learning from these mistakes and kind of improving and iterating on them. It's an example of a short-term goal. Long-term goal I've had was skiing. So I had this brain injury in 2014, right? And I remember working on the even bars with my rehab team. Shortly after the injury, I was in a wheelchair working on the even bars. Now, even bars are just what they sound like, even bars you hold when you're unstable on your feet. And the rehab team asked me what I was most looking forward to get back to doing. And I was, you know, in a wheelchair, I used to play a lot of sports. I used to play soccer, volleyball, hockey, softball, skiing. What would be the most difficult to get back to doing, I thought? Skiing would be the most difficult. Balance, core strength, depth perception, double vision, which I still have, would make things interesting, engaging obstacles at speed. If I could ski again, I'd have to be in a pretty good way physically, I thought. So I told them, I want to ski again. They paused and kind of nodded in agreement. Okay, they said. What I'm sure was a simple exercise designed to get me thinking about future goals has been burned in the back of my mind as something I'm gunning for. So I was asked when I want to make this goal happen. I said 2022. 10 years from the last ski trip that I went on in Morsi, France. We picked a date, March 31st. Real spring-like conditions that we went up on the slopes. It was great. We were an old hack going up the gondola to be the last one on the gondola. That way you can rest your skis in the door. So you can have your hands free to do up your jacket, do up your boots, just your gloves, what have you. Now... We're on the gondola, we're heading up, and you can feel it swaying back and forth. And I'm thinking on the way up, you know, what if it doesn't come back to me? What if I can't remember how to ski? This is going to be really embarrassing. I've made a big deal about this. Well, this is happening. We ought to see what happens. Now, if you could just close your eyes, please close your eyes for just a second. I want you to feel a bit of cold in your cheeks here. Okay. We get to the station, we dock, we're going to walk through the station into a beautiful wall of sunshine. It's a gorgeous bluebird day. Take a big inhale through your nose and mouth. Smell that alpine air. It's fresh, it's clean, it's crisp. We're going to walk down the stairs, clang, clang, clang onto the snow. Crunch, crunch, crunch. It's soft back. It's spring-like. We're back on the slopes. And we walked over, did our boots up and bindings up. Did a few practice laps and then we ripped it out of the park. I skied. I've got a great video too. I can share with you, Bella, if you want. And I skied like I remembered I could ski. And I remember this old hack as an instructor. You put the poles in your hands like this. Keep your lower body active and your upper body still. But that was the first time I'd gone fast since the brain injury. And I made this happen. The happiest day I've had since the brain injury was skiing this day. It was phenomenal. It's an example of like a long-term goal. And I didn't think this was possible when I called it out. Like I didn't think this was possible to do. I said it out loud because I wanted to have something bold to aspire to, something to aim at. If I could only get back to doing this, wouldn't that be something? And there I am skiing. That's an example of how I use long-term goals to kind of have something to aim at. Audacious, bold. Like I didn't think it was possible, Bella, and I did that. And that's something, I'm going to go back up this year again. I'm not sure when, but probably later in the season. So we're going to see how that goes, but... That's an example of how I use long-term goals to kind of have something audacious to aim for and track it down. Even if I didn't make it skiing out, the person I became that could be possible to be able to ski was someone I wanted to become. And that's what I want your listeners to take on board is just have something audacious to aim for and track it down one step at a time. I call it chop wood, carry water. That's my term for work. 
Whenever I think like, do I want to do this? Chop wood, carry water, meditate, chop wood, carry water, go for a walk, chop wood, carry water, go to the gym, work on the balance board, build this up. Like it's, it's all forward progress. And then sometimes it's not forward progress. Like those steps back are real, but you got to keep the processes, the game here, keep going forwards again tomorrow, again, the next day. And sometimes you got to take a couple of days off. That's fine. But you know that when you're feeling better, you go back to it. And I skied last year and I can't tell you how happy that was for me. I love your big skiing goal and congratulations on completing the goal. And it is true. Sometimes having those like big dreams, even if they're far away, they can really like kind of encourage you to keep going and they kind of help you on the really hard days. Be like, you know what, but I'm going to ski. And so I love that. And thank you so much for sharing. And is there anything else you'd like to add before we end today's episode? Yeah, thanks, Bill. I just like to let it be known that I'm now a motivational speaker found on the circuit. McQueenDan.com. You can contact me for any booking for events online or in person. I speak about perspective, resilience, adversity, mindset. I'm trying to change the way you look at your injury because that's really the game for me. The perspective is so key. That story of constructive optimism, the worst, know the best. I can bring that to you, or at least I can show you how I found it in myself. And maybe you can find it amongst yourself. And just keep going. Honestly, just keep going. Today may not be a good day, but just, you know, try again tomorrow. And just try. I say try. That's the most important bit. But always try. Know that you left it on the field. You're not going to fail because you didn't try hard enough. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing some of your life post-brain injury. Thanks, Bella. Need more than just this podcast? Be sure to check out our website, postconcussioninc.com, to see how we can help you in your post-concussion life. From a support network to one-on-one coaching, I believe life can get better because I've lived through it. Make sure you take it one day at a time.